0: How do we make sure the retention is really healthy? And then it makes sure that you can create a sustainable loop for acquisition. And I think a lot of people mix that up. They think that they should focus on acquisition and then eventually they'll improve retention over time. And that's actually like unlikely to be true unless you have a very strong network effect. And it puts pressure on like you always needing to find a new channel, always needing to improve conversion rate just to stay at the same target payback period or acquisition cost
1: why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail how do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries in the age of mobile these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth i'm Mada, and i'm the host for how i grew this hi everyone it's an absolute pleasure to have our next guest, Casey Winters. Casey is currently the chief product officer at Eventbrite and has previously directed growth at both Grubhub and Pinterest. He's also advised companies like Airbnb, CamVac, HipCamp, and taught at Reforge, considered by many a master degree for anyone working in growth. So Casey, it's so cool to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, you know, uh, these are weird times. This is not what it used to be when we even talked about doing this podcast. How are you and how is Eventbrite adapting to the current world environment?
0: You know, I, I'm sheltering in place like the rest of us. I, I don't know what else to say. Um, trying to figure out how to stay healthy when the gym is closed. I I started doing pull-ups on a tree last wow. week. It's, it's weird. You know, professionally, I would say I'm actually refreshed uh, by the hard work happening, you know, internally with our teams at Eventbrite and the activity we're seeing with, you know, our event creators uh, and attendees. You know, our mission's always been to bring people together for live experiences, and we can't do that in person right now. So what we're doing is helping creators move their events online, and we're seeing really great traction there. We saw a like 300% increase in online events on our platform from February to March. I think a, a lot of people probably didn't know we had online events prior to this situation. And what's interesting is we've seen a lot of like you know ingenuity from our creators and in, in uh, thinking about how to move their events online. That's you know really quite impressive. Like we had a cheese store in New York take its cheese tasting classes virtual. They literally like ship wow. you the cheese. To the attendee house you know for the event so you could taste it with them so you know our creators are finding like pretty uh interesting ways to create that shared live experience uh in new ways and that's really what we're trying to enable
1: that's really interesting i feel like i've been attending the wrong events no one has been shipping me cheese so <laughs> that sounds amazing
0: yeah it might be hard to go wrong when you get shipped cheese i
1: know i'm gonna i'm gonna start like looking up Interesting events on event, Brian, and joining them. This sounds like such a, such a great, you know, I, I was reading a quote that said that in terms of need and in times of hardship, this is when the human creativity is at its best. And I think it's so awesome to see that. Absolutely. You know, you've had a really interesting career. And for those of you who, um, don't know Casey. Uh, I met Casey a long time ago in the very early days of branch at one of our first meetups. Uh, he came and spoke and it was like really awesome. You know, you've had an interesting career. You've been at some really great companies. Tell us a little bit about that story. First of all, how did you get into tech? You know, when you were in high school, was that your dream? And then how did that career progress over time?
0: I started my you know tech career uh, as a marketing analyst at apartments.com and that's where I first really learned that, you know, all the things you learn in school about marketing is not really how the online world works. You know, I was asked to measure things like AdWords and SEO and email and affiliate marketing, you know, for effectiveness, which is I hadn't heard any of those words when I was in school. But this naturally led me into working in some of those areas directly over time. So, uh, you know, I started like doing SEO work and building email marketing programs and, and running AdWords campaigns. And then I started going to user research sessions and product, and I started to try to connect the things we were doing in marketing to the product by, like, improving conversion or fixing some product gaps that were preventing people from being successful. And I remember very vividly at the time, management told me, like, hey, you're this marketing slash product hybrid. We don't really know what to do with that. So I worked on a bunch of, like, the entrepreneurial projects where that versatility was rewarded instead of frowned upon. And then I joined Grubhub, and it was the first marketing person, you know, the fifteenth employee. And they didn't care what I did as long as it grew the business. So I worked on, you know, changes to the product. I worked on SEO. I built AdWords campaigns. You know, spent money on TV, like you name it. I probably tried it to try to grow the business. So I stayed there from like Series A to IPOs. When I started, we had around forty thousand users. Left when we had around three million users. And I was doing my MBA at night in Chicago. And when I finished, I just decided I didn't want to experience another winter there. So that's when I moved out to San Francisco and uh, joined Pinterest. So I started working on, on SEO with this like really awesome team. And we had a lot of success. So they gave me email, and then they gave me notifications, and then they gave me conversion. So then they're basically like, hey, you're just going to lead growth from the product side because you already own all of these components. So you know, we built up a really big team, really awesome team, and helped it grow from while I was there, 40 million active users to 150 million. And that was like really great experience. And while I was doing that, I had started advising some of these companies you mentioned, like Airbnb and Pocket. So the next thing I did is I just went to a venture capital firm, Greylock Partners, uh, and I started helping their companies with growth. And I realized that as I was working with a lot of these entrepreneurs, that I didn't just have kind of advice to give on growth, but advice to give on like generally building companies. So I just you know, left to uh, do my own advising and, and picked up a bunch of clients like Eventbrite, you know, Tinder, Canva, et cetera. And, you know, it was working so well with Eventbrite that I decided to join full time as chief product officer. And that was about 10 months ago. And that's what I've been up to ever since.
1: That's like uh, such an interesting career progression. And it's just been kind of awesome to see that from the outside as I've been following you over the past, I guess, five, it's been like five years since we met? Trying to make you proud. It's been, it's been really, really amazing. And so outside of the career side, and, you know, you've kind of talked about that, what is something that we won't be able to find if we just do a Google search or looked at your LinkedIn profile? What like makes you, I guess you?
0: You know, from the pretty early internet, I was really passionate about kind of the the community of the internet. So I was really into, you know, what we now call like user-generated content. So some stuff that like you know hasn't really survived the internet or you'd have to know exactly where to look is I was like one of the top answers on like a pre-bubble version of Quora called uh, askme.com, which you know definitely did not survive the bubble. I was a moderator on the IGN boards which still exist, but at the time they were like the third largest forum on the internet. I ran a music blog for five years. I also was a, a really competitive uh, Tony Hawks Pro skater player. And if if you know exactly where to look, you'll, you'll find more information on this. But what a lot of people didn't realize is that Tony Hawk's Pro Skater was one of the first games that had online play. So what happened is this was like prior to YouTube, but people started recording themselves doing like really high scores in the game to like compete to be the best in the world. So I got like super into that and I started watching all these videos and getting better. Um, did you make it? You would like to the I, best in the I world. Did, uh, I definitely was not the best in the world, uh, but I but I got a lot better. I was a great player. But what happened is like we had built up all this community around watching these videos. You'd have to upload them to a server and download them to your laptop to watch them. And then when the the sequels came out to these games, it just got too easy to like you know score really high points. So people switched to like you know doing more difficult and stylish things in the game. Uh, and then that started to die out. So what I actually built was I built a game on top of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater where you would take like a screenshot of a different place in the game and then a, a another screenshot of another different place in the game. And then you would challenge the community to be able to get to one place from the other without touching the ground, essentially. And you'd have to record a video of yourself doing that. That's and awesome. uh, then if you were the first person to record yourself a video completing it, you got to post the next challenge. I launched this on like a Tony Hawk forum called it to get their challenges. And within a day, like my challenge was completed and then someone else posted a challenge. And we ended up doing this for like three years consecutively where there were like 300 plus challenges posted. We built a whole website for it.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah, so uh, none of this really has survived. I think there's some videos on YouTube if you know where to look. But uh, I did a lot of this kind of user generated content stuff early on, which you know helped me, I guess, later on in my growth career without realizing it.
1: In what way? What do you think you learned from those experiences?
0: The the model that you know we've used to grow, you know, Pinterest and, and even Eventbrite and some of these other companies I've advised is taking this content that someone else creates and finding a distribution channel where other people can see it so that they eventually create their own content. Right. So this was really my first experience with that, where it's like, you know, I would post a challenge, people would create a video and then they become like a challenge creator. And then you have like this loop, right. That continues to power itself. And that's, you know, exactly how we grew Pinterest with, with SEO, where, you know, people would create boards. We distribute that to Google um, people would find those boards, sign up, create their own boards, and then, you know, keep that loop going. So it was really kind of where it helped understand, like, how these things can, uh, you know, compound over time on the Internet in a way that's really hard to do offline.
1: And when you think about growth, you know, you've talked a lot about, you know, you didn't know where to sit and you've written a lot about, in some cases, you've been in some of the, you know, growth as a function is something that's evolved over time and some companies have it, some don't. Sometimes it's in products. Sometimes it's it's in marketing. What are your opinions about this? I know you've written blogs, but about this. But for those who haven't read them, <laughs> so
0: you know, first when you think about like, okay, what? Well, well, what is growth? To me. Uh, growth teams are about you know connecting people to the value that's already been created in a product, right? So if you don't have product market fit, meaning you don't have value, you shouldn't be working on growth. You should be working on product market fit. So I don't think of growth as a function. I think of growth as a cross-functional team with that mandate to connect people to the value that's already been created in the product. And that's done you know not with a lone growth hacker. That's with engineers, designers, product managers, analysts, researchers, etc., so I care less about leadership of growth and more about that these different functions are aligned to the same set of you know objectives and key results, and they operate together as a unit. I still think this most scalable model is that they all report into their functional heads. So your product people report into a head of product, your engineers report into a head of engineering. So what I find is you know I spend a lot of time advising people on creating growth teams, and usually when people struggle it's that they frequently just aren't cross-functional by nature in their company. They operate more in silos and they really need to fix that. You know, so people are like, oh, at Pinterest, you owned the growth team, you're the head of growth. And it's like, I didn't own growth. Like I had amazing partners in engineering and design and analytics and we all worked together to grow the business. And I think that's the only way it really works at scale.
1: That's, uh, I, think, I think that's right. And I think that's a really great advice, but I think you're right. Sometimes it's very hard to do. I think it depends on how, cross-functioning organization is. So when you think about growth stories between Grubhub, Pinterest, Eventbrite, you have some really interesting experiments, campaigns, features that you ran that drove a lot of growth that were maybe unexpected uh, and that our audience can learn from.
0: One of my first projects at Pinterest was, was SEO. And we had this amazing small team of engineers, we had Anna, Julie, and Jean. And we had some success increasing traffic from Google, but it wasn't converting that traffic into signups. Like people would just look at the content and then they would go away and they wouldn't really learn what Pinterest was about. So I went to the conversion team, which was another team, you know, in the broader growth function. And I told them about this problem and they were saying like, ah, we don't really want to mess with that. We're going to focus on this homepage conversion uh, project that they were spending time on. So I said, screw it. We'll work on it on SEO. We'll do a conversion experiment. So uh, Gene, an engineer on the team, had just run an experiment making a new page type available to Google. And even though we got more traffic from the experiment, signups went down, which is like really weird. You're like, how could we be getting more traffic and are getting less signups? So Anna, our engineering manager, like, was helping to analyze the experiment. And what she realized was when people were accessing that page logged out before the experiment, they were hitting this really old signup modal. And it actually was driving a decent conversion rate to people signing up for Pinterest. So we thought, well, we should just use this old modal when people click on an image, you know, which we call a pin, because that clearly indicates they have some interest in our content and should sign up. And then the the other piece was, that was an insight, was when Google would access one of our pages, they would only crawl the first 25 images, because after that, you would have to scroll and, and load additional content. So we thought, well, if a user is scrolling beyond the first 25, you know, pins, that indicates that like, they, they like the content and they want to see more, so we should, we should stop them there as well and put in a sign up modal there. So Gene hacked together this experiment in two days where if you click on an image, you would get this old sign up modal, and if you scrolled, we would have this modal like come up from the bottom and ask you to sign up to see more. And we were like, oh, this is going to be a little bit controversial because we're kind of like closing part of the site for logged out users. So we decided to like brand it internally. So I I came up with the name uh, Project Gift Wrap because it's like, you know, some friction you have to tear through to get to the present of our great content. And, you know, we launched it as an experiment and it had a 50% improvement in conversion rate. Wow. Yeah. So like every graph at the company just like kinked upward. So my head of product was like, what did you do? And we eventually like, you know, iterated on this and we used the style of experiment to like increase conversion rate, like 5x from Google over time. And we did the same effort on mobile, driving people from mobile web to the app, which of course we uh, branch powered, and that worked really well.
1: Still powers it for Pinterest, actually. It's still there. Oh yeah, yeah. No,
0: this is all stuff we still do. What's What's funny is that like we didn't exercise to like look at this strategy like a few years later, and we're like, oh well, like what do other companies do to solve this problem of like you know conversion from Google? So one of our designers like started to look around the internet of what all the top companies do, and then she came back and she showed that they essentially had all copied us. Down to, like, the gradients, the fonts, like, it all looked, like, the same. Like, how is LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, they all had just, like, taken what we had done and, um, and used the same thing. So, I, yeah, you might say awesome. For us, it was kind of, like, uh, a little bit uncomfortable because it was, like, oh, crap. We're, like, responsible for the internet feeling, like, 20% more closed than it used to be. <laughs> which is not exactly the legacy you're shooting for. But it it did work in terms of driving uh, a lot of growth for Pinterest.
1: Any stories of failure? Maybe something that you thought would work well, but then it didn't?
0: Yeah, at Grubhub, we did a lot of paid acquisition work that looked good in the short term and then, you know, just didn't have the long-term retention you would expect. So the payback periods start to look a bit funky. So, you know, we tried you know, every different type of of acquisition method. And a lot of them we tried to scale. And then we realized that, like, okay, the payback period's not actually what we expect. At Pinterest, we were never really able to get social sharing to work super well after the early days in that either, you know, with some products, you couldn't get enough people to share. And with other products, you couldn't get enough people to, to you know, redeem and become new users. But we're never able to find, like, one thing that created, like, a strong... Content loop where the user shares, so that was kind of a, a another failure. Many more. I mean, the, the reality is most most of these experiments don't pay off really big, right? Like they either fail or um, they don't have the type of impact you wanted. But you just get many more shots on goal by going through this process. Which means if you keep iterating, you tend to find a big win. And you know, in some of these areas, we never were, and we had to go look elsewhere.
1: So when you think about like measurement, I think that's an interesting one. There's definitely a shift right now on retention, conversion, versus I think in the early days, it was all about user growth. How do you think as a as someone who's thinking about the growth of their own company should like think between those two and where should they... Should, should both be the goal? Should one be more important than the other? Uh,
0: you know, in, in general, I bias towards retention uh, because re- retention creates all the best acquisition strategies for you, right? At its core, retention... Can either create, you know, virality where retained users invite other users, um, and if people who don't retain are the people inviting other users, then you tend to just get like shark fin growth where it dies off over time. So, you know, retained users invite other users. That's a really profitable way to, to grow users. Or a retained users create content that attract other users. That's, you know, how Pinterest worked. That's a really scalable way to grow. Or retained users make you a whole lot of money, which you can reinvest in paid acquisition or sales. That's a really scalable way to grow. But if you don't have healthy retention, then it puts a lot of pressure on being able to do something really scalable on the acquisition side. So when I think about, you know, product market fit in general, I think about you know retention that creates for sustained acquisition, and usually it's one of those three methods are the methods that work at scale. So that's what I'm extremely biased toward. You know, in every company I've worked with, is how do we make sure the retention's really healthy, and then it makes sure that you're you can create a sustainable like loop for for acquisition. And I think a lot of people mix that up, right? They think that they should focus on acquisition, and then you know eventually they'll improve retention over time. And that's actually like unlikely to be true unless you have a very strong network effect. Uh, and it puts pressure on like you always needing to find a new channel, always needing to improve conversion rate just to kind of stay at the same target payback period or acquisition
1: cost. I think you're totally right. I think, um, you know, because people use branch for referrals, I've seen a lot of referrals programs fail. And it's usually the ones that do really well. It's really not the incentives. It's how much people love the product. And the ones that fail, no matter how good the incentive is, it doesn't matter that the links work, it, it fails because people, if you don't like the product, like the referral, the $20, the, et cetera, doesn't work that well. so I think Yeah, that's... I mean,
0: growth just can't fix product market fit issues for you, right? So if I gave you $10 off Uber and then the cab never came, the 10 dollars is not going to matter right like now in that case the cap did come you know in in 5 minutes or or whatever and that was a pretty scalable program for them totally. but that's because like you said the product market fit was strong and the incentive just helped people introduce them to it
1: based on all your experiences i think people are really struggling with what to do and how to think about growth in this particular period What kind of strategy advice would you give to marketers, product uh, folks during this time uh, where they should focus our attention, their effort, their money, if they have any budget?
0: Yeah, you know, it's hard to be generic in my advice because it's very specific to the business whether, you know, COVID-19 has created like, yeah, a boom or or a lull in your business, right? Uh, For a lot of companies... The best thing they can do is position themselves for growth on the other side, right? Clean up your technical debt, clean up any analytical debt you have, and just be ready to run once the sprint starts again. Now, for some people, like, you can't wait that long, right? You need to find creative ways to make revenue during the crisis, especially, you know, startups. In that context, you're trying to look for how the behavior of your customers is changing, and whether there is some other value prop you could help them with or some other application of your current value prop that seems to be, uh, you know, working for them. And then you lean into that and whether that's the long-term thing you lean into or not, you know, kind of depends on, on how strong the product market fit is. There are other businesses where there's a lot of short-term opportunity because... People still want their products; it's unaffected, and there's a big opportunity to go get a lot of users because you know CPMS are down across the board, so you can actually acquire customers more cheaply. There are a lot of social products where it's hard to get the liquidity uh, they need to have a good experience normally when they launch, but because everyone's has the same schedule right now and is you know largely bored out of their minds at home, they're able to you know find product market fit a lot easier and get that kind of core liquidity to work. So there's some opportunities like that that certainly exist. But sometimes like you just have to, you know, wait it out and make sure you're using the opportunity to be best positioned for the other side. Like it might have been hard to like completely, you know, overhaul your architecture in some way that like now you can do because there's just not a lot of traffic to your site or or something like that. And I, I urge companies that can to look into those types of opportunities.
1: I think that's really good advice. I think it's very interesting because as you said earlier, I have friends from, you know, I have someone who's in the food business and you can just get this milk kit meal kits. and she was not doing well. And now she's booming and hiring all these people. Exactly. But I think her concern is what's going to happen after. And I've heard this concern from many others because like after this is over, will they be able to sustain? And then if they ha- hire a lot of people, will they be able to keep those people? I think that's the concern. It's almost like the opposite. It's the opposite concern. Will they After this is over, will they be in the situation that many companies that don't have demand.
0: I think a key question a lot of companies face when they're booming right now is does the product market fit I have today last, right? We're in a particular environment and I do think some of these will become new normal, but then some of these will go, you know, back to the way they were or in some sort of new place. So you have to think about, hey, does this thing last beyond, you know, shelter in place or whatever the equivalent is in your country? Or And if it doesn't, it might be fine to take the short term revenue, but make sure, yeah, you're not creating structural changes to your business that you can't support uh, once the demand for this goes down. What I think I'm seeing in a lot of different industries is this environment is accelerating the pace of change. There were things that were already interesting to people, you know, like food delivery, which I have spent a lot of time in. And it goes from being like, oh, a cool thing to like an absolute necessity. Right. So Instacart is scaling um, pretty aggressively in grocery delivery, as as another example, and those probably like sure this is going to be peak demand, but it probably means there's just a lot more people do that on the other side of this as well, and then there are some like uh, you know House Party is an app that's experiencing explosive growth right now, and that's a company I've worked with at, at Greylock before they were acquired by Epic, and you know it's a really great way to to stay in touch with friends, and it's a lot easier to stay in touch with friends when you all have the same schedule, but on the other side of this. We're going to go back to having different schedules, most likely. Uh, So House Party probably shouldn't hire a thousand people right now. They should take all the opportunity while they can get it, make sure those people are going to retain as best as possible, but know that like, hey, this is probably going to be like a local maxima for them and then have like, you know, things to work on on the other side.
1: Yeah, I think that's really fair. And as you think of other trends, you know, if, if there's one thing you could have a major influence on in the way we're thinking about growth. What would that be?
0: Yeah, well, we've talked about a couple, right? Which is, you know, one is that uh, growth is, you know, cross-functional and it's executed well with a team. The other is that growth is, you know, not just about acquisition, it's about retention. I I think the the bigger one for me, and this is the one I've, you know, invested a lot of time in and have helped build a course on, is when you talk to most companies about growth, they talk about uh, either like their funnel or they talk about like what they think dominates growth. So they'd be like, oh, we're a sales driven company, or we're a marketing driven company, or we're a product driven company. And they usually have like some reasoning for that, right? Oh, we're sales driven because we have a custom value prop and we have big customers, or we're marketing driven because we need to make people understand why this space needs to exist and convince people they need something, or we're product driven because we have high viral growth or, or whatnot. And all of that's like fine. But I I think it's the wrong way to think about growing your business. The right way to think about growing your business is like, what is the growth model? What are like the sustainable like loops that power, you know, compounding growth for your business? And therefore, like, how do you how do you optimize that growth engine over time? And that's, you know, what we built the the Reforge course on advanced growth strategy about is, is helping people model that. And when you do that, I think you'll find that a lot of you know, these understandings of like, oh, the sales function versus the marketing function should really kind of break down, right? And you should be saying like, oh, well, we all understand how the business grows. And therefore we can understand if it's more valuable to hire another salesperson or to hire another engineer. And we can understand how the salesperson and the engineer should work together instead of being like complete silos. And uh, that's the thing that hasn't really happened super well yet. We've gotten a lot better at like engineering and product and design working together as a unit. And I think we're working on improving how marketing integrates with them. But like, it's not really happening yet with sales. Uh, so there's there's a lot of opportunity to think more about like, well, if we can all get on the same page the style of how the company actually grows and model that, then there isn't really competition between functions. There's an alignment of kind of how to use our finite time and resources to grow the business the fastest. And that's that's kind of my wish is that we can all get there.
1: You know, the other question is, how do you help, like if you're someone new who's just getting into tech right now and they want a career and helping grow companies, how should they think about their career? I mean, you've, you've like kind of taken advantage of some really cool opportunities and drove a lot of change for, you know, a lot of companies. How should someone like replicate that?
0: I think I had a particular focus on what I wanted to do and what I was interested in pretty early on. And not everyone uh, has that. But I I think the first thing to understand is it's your career. It's not the company's career. The company's not going to define your career for you. You have to decide, you know, what you're trying to accomplish in your career. And you have to be open for those goals to change over time. Like, you know, I... um, you know, was thinking about, you know, after Grubhub, I was going to become a VP of marketing. And that was my goal. And I was collecting all these skill sets so that I would know how to manage a big team of marketers. And then I ended up going to Pinterest and moving to product because that ended up being a better opportunity to drive more leverage and in, in, in growth uh, for for companies. But having a point of view around, you know, what you're trying to get done and taking ownership of that so that you learn the skills, so that you get the experience you need is super important. You know, what? some of the best advice I received was a Mandy Pekin was our our VP of marketing at at Grubhub. And I was, I was having a particular like issue with a person in another team. And she was like, look, you just have to assume that person isn't going to change. How can you change to work better with them? And it really puts the onus on you of saying like, Hey, like you can be the variable in this equation to get like more impact, more growth. And I, when I talked to a lot of people earlier in their career, they don't necessarily realize how much control they have. They think of like, oh, I get that at Pinterest, you can do all this stuff because you have all these amazing engineers, but at my company, we could never do that. And I was like, Pinterest was just as screwed up when I joined as your place now, even worse. I just worked on changing it. Like, are you going to work on changing it or are you going to like accept your fate and then not grow your career as a result? So I, I think people have a lot more control in where they're trying to go with their career than they think, and they need to just put in the work to execute and try to shape that and then learn from that, which, you know, in my case, changes my goals. But I see a lot of people that they just are like, well, this is the career path of my company. So I'm going to do that. Or it's never going to get better here. And it's like, well, either work on making it better or find another job that you can grow faster in. Those are the things I think about. And I try to tell, you know, people early in their career to, to really think hard through and, and execute on.
1: That was really good. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking right now, I think that, that piece of advice that you can If you you can change, maybe you can change the other person, but you can change, I think is such a good piece of advice. I love that. So let's end with uh, our lightning round. If you had to delete all the apps on your phone except one, you could only keep one, what would that be?
0: Yeah, I have like a core group of like five apps that I that I use regularly. I would probably keep Feedly first, because that's the most convenient way for me to keep up with like the new sources that I care about. So that's usually like the place I start on my phone and then I go from there to, you know, Twitter or Pocket or a few other places. But Feedly is usually where I start. So that would probably be the one I keep. What are the other four? Twitter, Pocket. Uh, what else? I want to make sure I don't forget any. Yeah, maybe it's just those. Oh, sometimes Reddit. But that's that's clearly like fourth in the pecking order.
1: They're all news related. This is very interesting. I think we got it. <laughs> yeah uh, i consume user generated content on the internet i no, that's amazing i think you know other people have said things like maps and it's just so interesting how different the, who has used for maps i can't go anywhere two different people said maps uh well maybe we started these questions before yeah before shelter in place um so if you could have an app that allowed you to talk to one animal what animal would that be
0: i would say i don't really have a desire to talk to animals uh, that's, a, that's
1: a fine answer <laughs>
0: Right now, it'd probably be pretty interesting to talk to dogs because their environments have totally changed where, you know, the humans are home all the time now. It'd probably be interesting to see how, how their environment uh, has changed and how, how they feel about it. I
1: heard they love it. That's what I heard.
0: I, I think they're pretty happy with it. But yeah, I would just I would just love the, you know, what was the, what was the pre-post? Like, how did they think about things?
1: I think the level of anxiety in dogs has greatly decreased at the same rate that the level of anxiety in humans has increased.
0: (laughs) This is just a power transfer from humans to dogs. That's all this is. Pretty much.
1: And then what's one unlikely app on your phone? Yeah, I don't really have any
0: crazy apps. Um, we, We have a group of friends from Pinterest that use this app called Psych where you start a game and you have to... There's like a question that's asked. To the group and everyone has to type in their own fake answer and then once everyone types in their fake answer all the fake answers are listed and you have to try to pick the right answer and you get points for not only picking the right answer but how many people you convince that your answer is the right one uh oh, so i love it so that's a pretty that's a pretty fun game
1: wow i'm gonna try it with my group of friends this sounds amazing
0: yeah people get pretty hilarious with some of the things they type in
1: that's awesome Well, thank you so much for being here today. You've talked about the course, and you've also talked about blogs and things you've written. How can the audience find the course and the blogs? And where is all of that?
0: So uh, yeah, I've written, uh, helped write a a few classes on growth at Reforge. So reforge.com. The ones that I've worked on are, are the Advanced Growth Strategy course and the Retention and Engagement course. And then I blog at uh, caseyaccidental.com. And yeah, if you want to find, you know, cool online events to do while you're bored at home, then just come on over to eventbrite.com or download the app.
1: Sounds awesome. Thank you again for your time. This was really great. Thanks, Casey. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, Keep growing.